Hello again, everybody. It is time once again for Sco Perp Soccer. Sco Perp! An Orlando Pride podcast. This is episode number 32. And I'm your host, Michael Citro, the founder and managing editor of TheMainland.com, an independent website that covers your Orlando Pride as well as Orlando City and OCB and all things soccer-related in the city. Beautiful. Joining me here in our off-season schedule is my co-host from Tallahassee, Florida, David Rowe. Dave, how you doing? Michael, I am very well. Things have been happening, uh, R.E. the Pride. There's, there's stuff that we actually get to talk about, which is nice, and... We have an incredible guest. We do have an incredible guest, and I will say this up front. There has been a lot of Pride news since you and I last spoke, but we're going to keep the Pride stuff a little bit brief because, uh, or the news part anyway, a little bit brief because we've covered it on the website, but also because uh, we want to allow more time for our guest because uh, we we had a very important uh, person come on with us and uh, discuss the Orlando Pride, so we will uh, we will of course uh, want to the bulk of the show to go to that as it should. So let's start out. Let's just go most recent to oldest. And we'll start with Orlando Pride has signed 2024 first round draft pick Ali Limos. Uh, a two-year deal for Ali, uh, a, a young player, fourth youngest player ever drafted in the NWSL draft, a player who does not have to come in and start right away, can come in and soak up stuff like a sponge and and get some minutes and uh, learn the game. Uh, a, a player with a very high upside, so uh, very important to get that first-round pick signed. Absolutely, and um, you know we'll find out a little bit later um, you know, what the approach to the draft was uh, from our guests. But um, yeah, being able to have somebody come in and, and not have to start right away takes a lot of pressure off, you know, especially somebody young. And and they get to then train and maybe get some minutes, but they get to train with the older, more experienced veterans, and, and that can really help their development. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, Allie will get to now learn from, uh, you know, some attacking moves from Marta and Adriana and uh, get to learn from the new Brazilian central midfielders. And, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, by the way, U.S. women's national teamer, uh, Morgan Catrat. So um, yeah. uh, a lot of uh, experience there to uh, to help bring her along. So uh, very excited about that. Uh, probably the biggest surprise of this offseason so far, uh, just a, a few days ago, the Pride traded Messiah Bright to Angel City FC. This was uh, a case of the player uh, wanting to leave for personal reasons. It was not soccer-related, and uh, the Pride did what the Pride should do, and that is to honor the uh, the player's wish to go elsewhere. And so Messiah Bright goes to Angel City, and the, uh, the Pride got uh, a pretty good return uh, for a player with only one season under her belt. Uh, $130,000 in intra-league transfer funds. So uh, a, a potentially uh, some money that can bring in a new player, but also, uh, you know, hey, cash is always good. Look, we're, we're, we like money. Um, obviously, we liked my sire Bright. I think she has tremendous upside. She had a great rookie season. Um, we wish her well. Um, whatever her reasons are for, you know, wanting to go or her reasons. But like you said, the important thing is the club did the right thing. And we've said this many times on, uh, our other podcast, um, uh, the mainland podcast, where if you've got a player that 
that for whatever reason wants to go, it's it's good bit of business, especially if you can get what the pride got in return to let them go. Because what are you just going to have somebody who wants to be someplace else playing for you? That doesn't, it, it, it's not a good recipe. So as mm-hmm. sad as we are to see Messiah, uh, not with the pride, um, you know, it was the right thing to do. And I'm confident that, uh, they'll be able to make something happen with those funds. Uh, one of the great things uh, that we always wait for every January is the release of the schedule. The Pride have their schedule for 2024 now. And uh, there are now, I mean, it's going to be the same as last year in terms of every team will play every other team home and away once. But there are 26 games this year because two new teams joining the fray in the NWSL Utah Royals. Uh, you may remember the old Utah Royals. This is a, a new Utah Royals, but uh, I think they're basically using the same crest and colors and everything, which is good for the fans in Utah. They get their team back and uh, a new team out in California, Bay FC. So those two new teams enter this season and the pride Dave will open the season at racing Louisville on Saturday, March 16th and their first home game. They're going to play Messiah Bright's Angel City on March 22nd. That's a Friday. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, look, uh, I got to say that I'm happy for the Utah Royals. Like you said, get to keep their name. Um, AFC, ugh, it's just the worst. The The logo's bad. Uh, anyway. Everything about that marketing effort has been bad. The, the, it's not been not been great, but... Uh, uh, the Pride Dave will finish the season at home against the renamed Seattle Rain uh, on Saturday, for them. November 2nd. Yes, no more OL Rain, which was awkward and stupid. Ugh. Yes, absolutely dumb. Should have never happened. I'm happy for uh, Rain fans as well to get back to being Seattle. And they brought back their their queen crest, uh, yep. which, is, which was much better as well. Yep, all good. All right, so... You know, you have one player leaving in Messiah Bright. How about a player arriving? Orlando Pride signed free agent forward Simone Charlie. Uh, she was uh, invited to camp and and originally listed as a non-roster invitee because uh, her uh, her signing had not gone through the NWSL office yet and become official. But that quickly happened. I think it was the next day after, literally the next day after the announcement of the uh, the, the camp roster. So Simone Charlie, who spent some time injured. Uh, ended the season last year injured, but this is a player who is pretty good in front of goal. A player that when she went to uh, Angel City was a player that I thought, man, that would have been a great get for the Pride. Uh, and now the Pride have Simone Charlie. So hopefully she can get back to her form and, um, you know, score some goals for the Pride. Well, and um, like I said on our other uh, on the mainland podcast with, you know, getting Nico Ladero coming in and, and he had had injury, some injury problems and was getting older, but playing on the sweet, sweet grass of inter and coast stadium has got to be a lot better than uh, some of those other places. And hopefully that will help uh, Simone um, deal better with uh, the physicalities of soccer. Indeed. So I uh, mentioned the pride's preseason roster and uh, not, a, a ton of surprises. Uh, everybody pretty much uh, you would know who they were. They were, they were players that you would expect to come to camp. Uh, a couple of non-roster invitees um, in uh, especially two goalkeepers, Kenna, Kenna Caldwell and McKinley Crone. Uh, 
the McKinley Crone has been around before uh, in, in the Pride's camp, has trained with the Pride, is from the area. So, um, you know, no big deal there. You got uh, all four of the, uh, the Pride's draft picks are in camp, and uh, uh, including local uh, UCF product Talia Gabara. And uh, all of all the new internationals are here. All, all the new, uh, most of them from Brazil. <laughs> lots, lots of Brazilians. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So uh, the pride now are uh, over at IMG Academy at training camp, and uh, they're going through. Everybody's here except the two players that were loaned at, late last year to the Australian league. So uh, uh, good to see that, and uh, seemingly everybody is on the mend. Uh, we will also uh, we also heard uh, about what a week ago or so about the Pride's uh, preseason schedule being announced, and this is you know a typical preseason schedule for the Pride. They will have a preseason scrimmage on uh, February fifteenth against North Carolina Courage. Uh, they will play UCF. They will play the Kansas City Current, Florida State. They always play Florida State. It seems like uh, the University of Florida and the Washington Spirit. So. Not quite as many of the smaller colleges that they wouldn't normally play against, uh, and and an extra NWSL team or two. So uh, a good preseason series of tests for the Pride. Yeah, and Emily Madrill gets to play against her former college club. Indeed, indeed. Okay, another outgoing player, uh, somebody who was not on the camp roster. That's because Orlando Pride and Erica Timrak mutually agreed to terminate the veterans' contract. And her time in purple has come to an end. Uh, um, she handled herself well, very professionally while she was here. Um, but uh, the team has moved on, opened up a roster spot uh, with Erica departing. Yeah, look, uh, thank Erica for her time with the Pride. Um, you know, she was a, a good soldier, so to speak. Um, and, you know, had a good veteran presence there as Seb was trying to, you know, build things in his first season. So, um, look, it, it was mutual and you just wish her well and, and thank her for what she's done. Yep. Uh, the pride had a draft. Well, I mean, the NWL had a draft and of course the pride <laughs> participated in that draft. Uh, we mentioned Talia Gabara. That was the uh, fourth round pick, the final pick of the 2024 NWL draft or third round pick. Um, my math is off now. Uh, anyway, uh, the final draft pick of the night was, uh, Talia Gabara, uh, out of UCF. And, uh, that is a player, Dave, who is a midfielder as the, mm -hmm. the club has, uh, put a lot of emphasis on the midfield this off season. Yep. Uh, that was just a few picks after taking Alex Kerr from Texas tech, who is a forward and midfielder at number 50 overall. Uh, they, uh, the pride picked Corey Dyke, a midfielder defender out of Penn state at number 22. And, uh, in the first round, Ali Lemos at number nine out of UCLA, the fourth youngest player, uh, selected in end of cell draft history. Uh, this is a player who projects maybe as a, uh, number eight, but can also play in the attacking midfield and uh, a young player, like we mentioned, can, uh, can really blossom because there's no need to hurry up into the uh into the lineup no but you can really see what the uh the plan was uh you know obviously things change during a draft but uh midfielder midfielder slash defender midfielder slash forward midfielder there was there was definitely a uh a theme going on 
Speaking of midfielders, I uh, mentioned her name already. Morgan Gottrat, uh, it was acquired in a trade with the Kansas City Current. Uh, the Pride swapped a 2024 international spot to the current for uh, a former U.S. women's national team player uh, who, if uh, if she can get her injury uh, situation under control and get that behind her, is a fantastic signing. And, and this is a team, Dave, that I think now will be able to keep the ball or win it back quickly and, and not seemingly run into a, a force field at the midfield stripe and turn the ball over. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we said many times that the, the frustrating thing was that, that midfield and, and the inability or seeming inability to be able to, to move it through the midfield. You, know, you would see them loft balls up to Messiah Bright or Ali Watt or whoever was up top. Um, and that was fine, but you know, just working out of the back and moving up was tough. This, the, all the moves that we've been talking about are an effort to address that. And I'm very excited for that. And uh, there's uh, there's news in the attack as well as a Swedish attacking midfielder, Evelina Julian, was signed through 2024. She's just 20 years old and uh, very excited to see what she can bring to the pride. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, that's that's kind of the highlights. Uh, I'm not sure exactly. Uh, you'd have to go back a little further to see what exactly we didn't cover in our in our last show. Uh, I think maybe the last thing might be that Haley, Haley McCutcheon signed a new three-year deal. Uh, so she was under contract, but uh, now has a new contract. And uh, the Pride did a very good job of finding a back line that could stay together and then locked everybody down. So everybody's under, under contract for a couple of years. And as we saw on the men's side with Orlando City, uh, once Orlando City got uh, Roman Janssen and Antonio Carlos and had some stability back there, things started to come together for the club. And that's what I expect out of the pride. Absolutely. I mean, we've mentioned it before, how excited we are about that uh, that starting center back pairing for the pride now. And, uh, and McCutcheon just kind of uh, adds a, a, another wrinkle, but, the, you know, it opens up the possibilities um, back there. But yeah, big... Big difference uh, from the start of last season or, or prior to last season and, and where the pride are as far as that back line going into this season. So very exciting. There's still a, a lot of time for the first game and still time for Haley Carter to add some more players for Seb Hines to coach. Yep. Um, the team has uh, is very well positioned financially. In terms of still having a, a ton of allocation money, they've now got a bunch of uh, intra-league transfer funds. I mean, this is a team that's sitting on some cash, and and you can't just necessarily throw money at at somebody and and have them sign. But if they go out and find the right pieces to fit what they're building and to fit what they've already got, um, boy, we're so much more optimistic this off season than last off season. We really are. And, and look, you know, go back and listen. I mean, we were, we were a bit pessimistic if we're going to be honest about it. Um, but, uh, you know, we were optimistic that Seb was, you know, the right person for the job. And I think he proved that, uh, last season had them playing above and, and, you know, got everybody rowing in the same direction mm-hmm. this year. I, I agree with you. I'm, I feel a lot better heading into, uh, the first match with, where this team is, um, you know, just like with Orlando City, I, I, there's some pieces I want, uh, you know, in this case, Haley Carter to go out and get. 
Um, but you know, uh, even without that, we're the pride are better right now than they were a year ago. Yeah, there's no, there's not much doubt. And, I, and you can go back and listen last year. Uh, uh, of course, it wasn't on this podcast. It was on the mainland podcast because this podcast didn't exist a year ago. That's true. Um, you can hear me say things like, I don't know if the roster sets Seb Hines up for success, um, but Seb set himself up for success because he, he got everybody's buy-in in a way that, uh, I mean, aside from the, the show Ted Lasso, you hardly ever see. Yeah, no, he set the roster up for success yeah. is what happened there. Yeah, he he created his own success. He got everybody to buy in. He got everybody to commit to and and he built a culture the exact same way that Oscar Pereja built one for Orlando City when one did not previously exist. So you're saying that he got everybody to believe? I believe and believe, and I believe Seb Hines believes and believe. I do too. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a quick rundown of basically everything that uh, happened of note uh, in Prideville uh, between uh, the last time we talked and now, although I'm not sure we really talked about Crystal Dunn. We, I, mean, I know there were rumors that she might sign with Orlando, that there were discussions. Those quickly went away and she signed uh, elsewhere, going to Gotham. Uh, and uh, oh, what a surprise. Her husband, who had uh, left uh, his post in disgrace in Portland, uh, just happens to now have a consultant's job with uh, Gotham. Amazing coincidence. Yeah. If you go back, um, I wrote a little piece uh, about that whole situation um, and and a little in you know inside soccer on some stuff that I knew. So go read it. It's uh, the title of it's Orlando Pride Building a Club Culture uh, the Right Way. Uh, it's on the site. Just go to the Orlando Pride part uh, if you haven't read it already. And it'll give you a little bit of insight. But, um, you know, like you say, surprise, surprise that uh, that it didn't happen. And I think that it was a good thing that it didn't happen. Yeah, I, I don't think you ever want to I, never say never. But I think in most cases, when there are strings attached, it's a bad thing. And and if if signing Crystal Dunn had strings attached to it, then I think the club did the right thing and 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 did not uh, pursue that uh, any further. Look, every all, all parties involved did what was right for them. Um, you yeah. know, what was right for Crystal was to, you know, have her husband be with her. I don't, I don't begrudge her that. No. Obviously, you know, Gotham felt that it was right for them to do what they did. We can agree or disagree on that. And that'll either, you know, come back to bite them or it won't. And then the Orlando pride uh, made the decision they did in that uh, in regards to, you know, potentially bringing in done so that, as I said, they're trying to build, they're trying to build a club culture. And one way you do that is by setting, as we mentioned, setting your athletes up for success and a different decision might not have done that. Yeah. Now I will point out that a year ago, a high, pro, a high profile star player uh, flirted with the idea of coming to Orlando and did not come to Orlando. And that player finished uh, below Orlando in the standings. So I'm not saying that Gotham will do that and finish below the standings in 2024, uh, below Orlando, but I'm not not saying it. That's true. And we're not going to start talking about that because we don't want me to go off on a rant. <laughs> no, we don't. All right. Well, that's uh, that's the basic news, but we got tons more of show to bring you. And the bulk of that 
is our very special guest who happens to be Haley Carter, who is the vice president and general manager of the Orlando Pride. Very, very generous with her time with us and spoke to us for a long time, both on and off the air. And uh, we thank Haley for that. And uh, and we thank um, Lucas and Jackie from the, uh, the Orlando Pride and the Orlando City organization for helping set that up. So thank you to everybody involved. Uh, we are going to get to that Haley Carter uh, interview and to, of course, our mailbag box. We can't forget about our mailbag box. We're going to get to all of those things right after this. All right. Joining us here on Scoperp Soccer and Orlando Pride podcast. Uh, not the first time we've talked to her, but the first time on Scoperp. We'd like to welcome Orlando Pride Vice President and General Manager Haley Carter. Haley, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be on again. Well, we're excited to have you. And before Dave and I start asking you questions, we did want to, uh, to uh, let our founders ask you a couple of questions. And the first of those is from Alfred Richardson. He's one of our, uh, our founders who helped us go independent and uh, would like to know, what is the status of the Orlando Pride Academy? Oh, that's a good question. So um, right now, I will tell you, as a league, we're exploring some options um, in the youth space, but also, and I think just to be somewhat transparent, um, my priority is having a second team, um, not necessarily the youth space, but having a, a space where, because the reality is in the state of Florida, we have an unbelievable amount of youth clubs that are around between Orlando City Seminole um, FKK, Florida United, there is a entire ecosystem, um, of youth soccer clubs. Um, but something we're really missing right now is that second team. So, uh, a space for athletes who are U23s who want to forego college, go straight to the pro game. Um, or, you know, if we've got return to play protocols for first team players, as they're coming back and they need to get minutes, having a place for them to be able to play as well. So trying to navigate that um, right now is is the focus of the entire league and and our ownership along with that and myself as well is trying to figure that space out and then um, and then start to look at the youth space with respect to to populating that pipeline. Um, but right now, the biggest gap we're seeing, you know, if you look across the league, you see 15, 16, 17 year olds that are signing with. Um, with pro clubs and and I'm pretty outspoken about this. I think anybody in the league you could ask and agents around you could ask. I'm I I don't believe in signing you 18 players, um, especially if they're from out of market. And it's because uh, if they're not good enough to start on our roster, I'm not going to participate in breaking their developmental pathway. Um, I think it's it's I, yeah. I just don't I don't support it um, because I think you develop through meaningful match minutes. And I think even if you look at some of the signings that we've made, younger athletes, you look at like Amanda Allen, for instance, um, making sure she's getting meaningful match minutes is really important to us as well. So you know we, we've already got athletes that we are working with in that space, and having a, a second team um, or a space for them to be able to go, I think is for us is is probably the bigger priority as as opposed to figuring out what that youth academy looks like because we want to be able to have a space for um, the top tier of players to be able to get meaningful match minutes. And then, of course, I'm just going to say it because everybody that's going to be listening to this podcast is going to be thinking it like, what does that mean for Super League? 
Um, and, and I'm just going to say, I think USL super league is fantastic. I think it gives an opportunity for more professional players to, to play. Um, and any opportunity for women players to play is great. Uh, and I think it also gives us an opportunity, you know, when you look at it just pragmatically to be able to send players on loan domestically to a league, as opposed to sending sending them on loan overseas. Um, there's a lot of opportunity there, I think, um, to build sort of mutually beneficial relationships with various Super League clubs and what that looks like. So I'm really excited to see that. But okay. I'm sorry it doesn't answer the question directly, but it kind of does. That's yeah. the priority right now is is filling out that second team and what that looks like as opposed to just diving headfirst into the youth landscape again. Yeah, I think you I think you covered it quite well. But it, uh, Dave, that means we're going to have to uh, add some staff so we can cover Orlando Pride B. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> oh fun. <laughs> uh, Alfred had one more question. I I believe you've already answered this. Uh, he wanted to know: Are there any players on the U eighteen entry list? And and maybe you could just start by talking about what the U eighteen entry list is, because a lot of people probably yeah. So so I think it's I think it's really interesting, right? So they you saw the news that they've increased the number of U eighteen slots that you can have on a team from from two to four. Uh, the vast majority of teams aren't using one. Um, so, you know, when they asked for our feedback, I was like, well, whether I have one or whether I have four, it doesn't really make a difference. Like it's, um, if you were to come to me tomorrow and say, okay, look, you can have 30 people on your roster, but roster spots, 27, 28, 29, and 30 have to be filled by U18s. It might be compelling. Um, but even then I, I don't know. Um, but right now the U18 having four U18 spots, that still means that's four spots on your senior roster. So that you only have 26 contracts. So that means four of those contracts would be taken up by U18 players. And again, if, if you're not good enough to start, um, it's a tough sell for me because you're, you're, yeah, without meaningful match minutes, it's hard to develop. And when you look, you're looking at a 15 or 16 year old athlete, what they're like at 15 or 16 is very different than what they're like at 23 or 24. Um, and we've seen example after example after example of that, um, you know, going back to Freddie Adu. And so I'm very careful of it. Um, I'm very careful of of what that could could look like. Now, you look at players across the league, you look at Chloe Ricketts and and what she's able to do in, in Washington. She's an incredible athlete, but but there's not very many of her. Um, and you look at Melanie Barcinas in San Diego. That's a unique situation as well, because that's her home market. She goes home every day. She's with her parents. She has the same social circle. She has the same group of friends. You know, a lot of times you're seeing these these athletes leave their social circles, move across the country to sign in a new market in a new environment. And I just think, you know, maybe I'm sensitive to it, having been a player in the league in the early days. But I think until we can get to a place where we feel really comfortable about how adult players are being treated, I just... It makes me really nervous to bring a, a youth athlete into a high pressure, high stakes environment, especially when they're not getting meaningful match minutes. And for for players like that, you need to be able to to be in an environment where you can lead, not just hang with other athletes. Right. Like we've had multiple U18 players come into our training environment and they hang with our athletes. That's not a problem. They can come in and they can play. But that doesn't mean that they're good enough to start. Um, it doesn't even mean that they're good enough to get meaningful match minutes. And so. Um, I think bringing them into an environment that's a high pressure environment, it's it's something that's hard for a lot of adults. Um, you got to be really, really careful about that. And and I think for me, just until we see um, 
we see a, a space for them to be able to get those meaningful match minutes while also training with us. It's just not something that I'm I'm willing to to participate in. And I'm like I said, I'm pretty outspoken about it. You can ask anybody in the league, and they'll say, "Don't call Orlando about U18 players because." You know, we've we've had some that are in our market that will come and train with us. And I think that's great. But again, if, if they're not good enough to get significant minutes with us, then, you know, we, we still have to win as well. So, um, you we know, I like to hear that because we, we think the same thing. You have to win. You got to win. So, <laughs> well, and I also appreciate that. I, look, I've got a 14 year old stepdaughter who's, you know, going to be 15, you know, later this year. And the idea of, her moving to, like you said, another market to, to, you know, I would want to be supportive of her. And not just, not just her, but one of you. Right. One yeah, absolutely. With her. Yeah. And right. Like it's, it's a, it's a lot, it's a lot of pressure to put on families and to put on the athletes. And so it's, yeah. Yeah. And I, like I say, since I am the stepdad of a young girl that age, she's not ready for that. And I understand kids are different, but let's face it. Most are not going to be ready for that. Yeah. So you just have to be careful. And, and, and there's, there, there are some athletes that are ready for that. So I don't, like right. I said, you, you've, you've got a couple of examples of them in the league already, but when you um, collectively, when you look across at the number of players, I'll be curious to see what kind of minutes they get this season, but um, you have to be really, really protective of them and ensuring that they get what they need to continue to develop. And again, without having that sort of second tier space for them to be able to play in, it makes me uh, I'm very, very cautious about it just because I think the long term repercussions of bringing an athlete into an environment like this when things aren't aligned um, are just it can be very severe. And and yeah, I just as a parent myself and as a young woman who grew up playing in this game, I'm like you, I at 15 years old, I couldn't imagine myself being in this environment. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So well, big thanks to Alfred for submitting some questions. We Those are some hard hitters. Thanks, Alfred. Yeah. Uh, Haley, I'm going to dive in with what has re recently transpired. I know a lot of people are interested to know what went on with the, the Messiah Bright transfer. Um, Maybe you could uh, give us a little bit of the background of that. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not going to discuss that. Okay. Um, what what we said is what we said. There are personal reasons, and to be quite frank and as respectful as possible, those reasons are hers and hers alone. And that business isn't anybody else's but hers. And I'm very serious about protecting players' um, personal lives and their personal decisions, and I will stand by that. Sure. Got to ask the question though. Are you um? Obviously, uh, this this is a team that. Went through a rebuild. You added mm -hmm. some pieces in the offseason already, perhaps have some more uh, left to come. Um, was this a situation that uh, took you a little bit uh, by surprise? Were you, were, were you expecting this? And and how uh, can we expect a signing to uh, to occur before the season starts? That sort of uh, We're not finished. I'll just say that. And you have to keep in mind, our transfer window is open until mid-April. Mm -hmm. our, our season starts mid-March. Um, so I can't tell you that a signing is going to be done before the season starts, but I can tell you that we're not finished having conversations with players. Um, what I can tell you is, is that our staff and our locker room are perfectly content with where we're at. Um, and you know, the Messiah transaction hasn't changed that. So I think, uh, I, and I can understand there's a lot of frustration from fans around that happening and, and, you know, I can appreciate that, but I think, when you're in our space every day and when you're in our locker room and you, you know, what's going on, um, 
you know, I think to be quite frank, the rest of our front line has taken a lot of the feedback from fans pretty personally. Um, you know, I, I think, I think 2024 is going to be the year of Valley Watt. Um, and I, I, I'm actually, I actually love that for us and I love that for them. And I think, um, I think we're, we're going to be in a good place. We feel like we're in a good place We're we're, it's not something that we're terribly concerned about. Um, you know, our culture is really important. What happens with our team is really important. Uh, and, and ultimately like you want people in your space who are ready to focus and, and do what needs to be done for the team and, and for the club. And so, um, you know, that, that again, I can see it being a, a major hit for fans and, and, and Messiah certainly has a, a very bright future and we're excited to see what she does and, and we will continue to cheer her on and root for her. Um, but we're moving forward and our athletes are, are happy with where we're at. Um, if you look at, you know, watching trainings sessions, the last couple of days, like we're working on things in day eight that last year we were working on in month three. So, um, we are very far ahead of where we were this time last season. Um, and so we know how important the start of the season is going to be. So we are working to finalize a couple of things before the season starts, but again, because of the window and where it falls, champions league is still happening. Um, figuring out the timing of, of a couple of different things is, is still up in the air, but, um, I can tell you that. Uh, it was a, a signing we were intending to make regardless of what happened with Messiah. Um, and if you look at, I think just from a strategy standpoint, how we've approached the last year, um, we got to improve the back line. And that's what we did first. Um, and then the priority became the midfield. And that's what we did in the, the beginning of the offseason. Mm -hmm. um, and now, you know, we're, we're looking for established goal scorers. So that's where we're, that's what we're going after next. And, um, that was always the plan. So here, here we are, uh, and excited to be where we're at the, I think the midfield players that we brought in, whether they were trades or free agent signings, or even like Ali coming out of the draft, um, you know, there's, there's, I think there were a lot of times last season where we were able to get in and we just weren't able to finish in front of goal. But there were more times last season where we either lost possession in midfield or we weren't able to break through a midfield line. And I think with the midfield we've got now, we're going to unlock a lot more opportunities for our front line to be able to score. So um, if you were to look at, and we've sort of talked about this as a staff, if, you know, because fans really want to hone in on this. So let's just think about Messiah, right? Messiah, Messiah scored six goals last year. Well, where do we find six goals? Well, that also means we can see less goals, right? So now we've solidified our back line. We've made our goalkeeping core more competitive. We've improved our midfield. So I think the number of goals that we give up is going to be lower in theory. Um, and then the chances that we're creating out of our midfield are potentially going to be higher. So I think covering that six goals with the front line that we have, Evelina Doulian coming over from Sweden is an unbelievable athlete. Um, fantastic winger can play as a 10, can play as a seven, nine, 11. She can play as a right back. She can play in a lot of different places. You guys know we value versatility around here. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at Allie and where Allie's at, you know, Allie just got through last year was her first full season without a major injury. That's a big, big achievement. And so her off season, she stayed in market. She worked her ass off. 
and she's ready to go. We had a lot of athletes who stayed in market um, in the off season, which is very different. That's never happened really in Orlando. So, and I think that that's contributed to how much further ahead we are now in preseason than we were in previous years, because for the most part, in the vast majority of athletes stayed around. They were working out in the facility. They were working out together. They were doing things together, optional training sessions. Um, so we're in a good, we're in a good place, but, but we're not done No, So you guys, yes, <laughs> yes, we are working on another signing. Now I, I'm glad you, you brought up, um, culture and I know that that's something that you're focused on. And just so you know, in regards to the Maasai, don't need to know anything other than to let you know that Michael and I have always been big proponents of if a player wants a move, then give them the move because what they're going to be miserable and then they're not going to perform their best and it does it's not good for anybody so well yeah there's yeah absolutely absolutely there's that it's 100 percent. and and you every you want everybody that's in your space bought in and while things that happen with them side didn't have they don't have anything to do with soccer um they yeah it's it still weighs heavily on you as a human being right like right and we have to appreciate that players are humans these are humans. Our biggest asset, our capital assets are human beings. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it. if I have a job in one place and something happens and I want to move to another place, I have the freedom to do that. Right. And I appreciate that professional sports are different in the light of the fact that you sign a contract and and whatever. But if if I want to say tomorrow that your contract is over and I buy you out of that contract, I can do that. Right. Yeah. So it, 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 I, I believe very much in the integrity of contracts. Um, but I also believe in ensuring that when there are things that happen, we're, we're supporting athletes just like, you know, yeah, that's well, it's that, common human decency. Yes, absolutely. And that it brings me to my, to the actual question that I want to get at. And I'm, I'm thankful for what you just said there. Um, over the years, unfortunately, and I know this is something you're working on changing, but there have been players that opted out of the draft that to go someplace else because Orlando had the first pick. And that hurts. It just hurts. As a, you know, that hurts our yeah. feelings. And, you know, I understand that that's not the case with what, you know, Mosai was doing. Obviously, she did. You know, we did pick her. She did come here. She played great. Um, but we want, we, we don't want to be. We don't want to be snubbed anymore. We want we want players to come to when you know in the draft or wherever be like, oh, or, you yeah. know, for whatever reason, Orlando's got a you know, oh, I got picked by Orlando, awesome. You know, how's how's that coming along? Where where are we at in that? I think you know what my response to that is is to look at all the players that resigned with us or have extended their contracts. Everybody's focused on one player leaving. Look at all of the other players who didn't. And didn't just not leave, but have extended their contracts. Emily Madrill's in for another year. Haley McCutcheon is in for three years. She forewent free agency to sign with us for another three years. Kylie Strom is here for another three years. Um, you know, we're in the process of renegotiating a couple of contracts. Like there are so many athletes that are bought into what we're doing and want to be here. And, and I think that we need to focus on that. We need to focus on those athletes. Um, because the reality is, I th- I think um you know, players are, are going to come and go and it, it doesn't matter the market. I think, you know, I've, I've seen people talk about Orlando not being a major market and, and all of that is true. And Orlando being in Florida, well, I came from Texas, like, and Houston is in Texas, right? So 
you know, they talk about like the political side of things. And and I would be lying if I said I didn't question whether or not I wanted to move to Florida, but I was, you know, moving from Texas. So um, <laughs> kind of a lateral, I, that was a lateral move. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a lateral move. Um, Orlando was like the Austin of Florida. I'll just say it is. Um, but I think that, you know, there's I, there's a lot of reasons why. Um, players may want to move along. And and I would just cautious anyone of trying to aggregate any of those into being like, like it's caused by one thing. I think every player has a different reason for wanting to move on. And that's true of any market, of any team, of any club. Um, and I think it, I think I can't speak for Orlando fans, but I can appreciate like the acute awareness of the recency and and players wanting to leave and i would just you know just ask for a little bit of um graciousness on this because that the i can't speak for what happened before i got here i can't speak for what happened before seb was named the head coach so um but i think when you look at what's transpired for us in this offseason right you've got carly nelson and michaela clough who are getting to home markets um and that was really important for them and then You've got Messiah. But other than that, like every everybody is here. <laughs> everybody has stayed. People are renegotiating and extending their contracts. And so I think instead of focusing on perhaps the negative side of of losing an, uh, a marquee athlete, um, you know, we should focus on the athletes that are that are bought in and 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 are doing the work and are ready to be here and are committed to Orlando as a community, as a fan base, as a club and and are excited about what we're building because if you look, I mean, you can just look at the social media accounts of our athletes right now, just following coming out of the week one of preseason. Everybody is really excited. Things are, everybody's enthusiastic. Everybody's ready to get started where, like I said, where we're at, it, the, it, the excitement is like palpable and, and knowing the knowledge that, that we're a lot further along right now than we were last season, like everyone knows it and they feel it. And, we know how important the start of a season is, right? Like last year you had the first four games, right? We didn't, we didn't get any points out of the first four games. And now we know that we've left the standings up from last year as a reminder of like, this is how shitty it feels when you come this close and you lose out on essentially one goal here or there and a tie or, you know, and then you just start going back and thinking about all the things in the season that if it had gone differently one way or the other, then we're through uh, and the team that wins the championship is not. So, um, so it's just, it's, you know, I, I just choose to focus on, on those athletes. And that's what I would encourage fans to do because right now you've got a group of, um, of athletes who are excited about Orlando and love being in Orlando. And, um, you know, we're, like I said, we're, we're moving forward. Speaking of excited, uh, one of the most exciting nights of the year is draft night and you yeah. seemed extremely excited with the athletes that you guys were able to draft can you just yeah. walk us through draft night what that was like for you being out there and and getting those getting having your list and seeing those names still there when you were about to pick yeah so i'll tell you our draft preparation is is very extensive um and we'd been working on it for six months, probably we'd been working on it since before the summer transfer window um, and going into the college season and making sure we had coaches and scouts at all of the major tournaments and 
um, calling coaches, calling opponent coaches, calling youth coaches, calling friends of friends to figure out what they're like on and off the field. Um, the staff met with close to 30 um, athletes just in case, we, depending, because you never know how it's going to go on draft night. Mm -hmm. But draft night is like game day, right? Like you've done all of the work um, and you have an, an idea of how you want things to go. And then you get into the draft um, and based on what other teams do, then you make adjustments, but you have a general strategy and you've had conversations with all of the players that you're potentially going to pick. Um, and then you just proceed accordingly. So um, for us, when Allie came up, like we had had a really, really good conversation with her. We knew she's a, an ultimate pro uh, on and off the field, how she prepares her personal accountability, her growth mindset coming in as a younger player knowing that she's probably not going to be starting right away, but that she can make a, a potential impact uh, and and making sure that she's good with that role and she's comfortable with that role because she's still developing. She knows where she's at. Um, that was really important for us. So to be able to get her and bring in um, an athlete with high potential, high ceiling to, to be able to develop and grow in our midfield was going to be really important, um, especially when she can learn from, you know, Morgan and Angelina, Luana, Marta, Summer Yates, even, uh, who, by the way, is flying. Summer Yates is like chef's kiss flying. Um, she had an unbelievable offseason. We were excited when when she was drafted last year. Yeah, she's, uh, you guys, she's like a whole new player this year. I'm so happy <laughs> about it. I'm so proud of her. Um, but being able to bring Allie in so that she can grow and mentor and learn from them was was really exciting for us. Um, and what, I think the best part of the draft this year is, is Seb and I were talking about it. We met as a staff. Um, we had done all of our work before we got to convention because you guys don't know this about me. When I get to convention, like I don't have time to be meeting as a staff every five seconds about what the draft is going to look like because I'm busy with other things. Yolanda was presenting in multiple presentations. I was presenting at convention. Um, we had field sessions. We, there are so many things going on at convention that as a staff, we were like, all of our work will be done before we fly to L.A. Um, and the day of we'll meet in the morning. And if we need to adjust anything, we will, but we didn't really need to, we like had everything. Um, but the, um, going into it and having an idea, like we wanted to be able to draft players that we knew could come in and develop because unlike last year, we knew we weren't going to have to draft players. We'd rely on right away. So last year you knew Emily Madrill was going to get just thrown in and Messiah Bright was going to get thrown in um, and Summer was going to potentially get some minutes like you just but you knew your first and second round picks you were going to be relying on. Um, and this year was a little bit different. So it gave us a little bit not necessarily freedom, but it changed how we approach things, because now we're approaching things in terms of like which players have the highest ceiling that we feel like we can effectively develop in our environment. Um, and so, you know, you look at Allie, you bring Allie in, um, you know, she can play as a holding midfielder. She can play as an attacking midfielder. She is just a very good footballer. Um, and then Corey, any athlete you get out of Penn State, from a, a culture standpoint, from a preparation standpoint, to be able to play as a professional, to know what you have to do off the field, um, to, to take care of your body, to be ready from a, a mindset standpoint. I mean, everything about the Penn State program, they really generally prepare their athletes to be professionals in the NWSL. Um, so to go after Corey Dyke, 
um, to see that she was was still available was really exciting. So that gives us a little bit of depth um, and versatility. Again, I think you know I think some people question whether or not she could play as a center back because of her size, but you know she just did it for a power five school in college. And and again, she's just a smart player, knows how to read the game well, um, can play as a six, can play as a center back, can play as an eight even. Um, you know, she spent her college career playing in a couple of different positions. So, and again, just, just getting that, that culture into our locker room as well was really exciting. And then, um, to be able to get Alex Kerr at 50, I think that was really exciting. I actually wasn't expecting Alex to still be available at 50. Um, and then, you know, with Talia being a, a UCF grad and, and local is similar to what we did with Kristen Scott last year. Like, it's just exciting to be able to bring athletes in who are local and, um, and what she can provide to the midfield as well as we're getting into preseason. I think what people have to remember is we won't have regular season matches during international windows. Thank God the league has figured that out. <laughs> um, but we do still have the Olympic window. We will have an event during the Olympic window. So, you know, you're you're looking at right now us losing potentially five national team players and we're going to need and a lot of them are in midfield. <laughs> They're midfielders. Yeah. Um so ensuring that we have athletes in depth who can come in as national team replacement players and but they are spending the season with us they know how we want to play they know how we want to press they know how we want to build um is is going to be really critical so for those to have those four players is we feel um we feel really good about so yeah it was well, a good night tell me um well first I want to thank you uh, cuz I'm pretty sure I saw on Twitter that um, when you were mentioning Seb at one time, you were mentioning that, you know, second year as head coach, um, you know, which it is the national media upsets me all the time when they're like, Oh, you know, year three or whatever. I'm like, no, he was interim. And oh, then he was head, you being, know, being the head guy in charge, right. HMFIC. And, it's a little different than having that interim tag. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You know, and, and I feel they're doing him a disservice because then they're adding a year to his, you know, the time that he's had to do things. So anyway, thank you for that. But speak to me about Seb, speak to me about, you know, coming into, you know, second full year and all that, you know, how are things going there? Uh, I, you know, Seb is, is a treat. I, you know, we, we had a, we had some NWSL training, um, the day after the draft and a lot of it, we were, all of us were filling out surveys, um, you know, they were looking for feedback from the staff and it was mostly technical staff. We had some, um, some op staff, but it was like technical staff and, and the GMs and chief soccer officers that were filling it out. And, um, and a lot of it was about collaboration between the GMs and the head coach and the coaching staff. And, um, and we were all really frustrated that we were having to fill these things out because we feel like that's something we're really good at. Uh, and it is. And I think I'm I'm really fortunate. I, I obviously can't speak for how things work in other clubs, um, but I can tell you that we don't we don't ever make decisions in a vacuum. We don't ever make decisions independent of one another. The way that we sort of operate is that both of us have to be at a yes for a player if um, or a policy or an approach or or something that we want to do with the team, both of us have to be at a yes on. And, um, and if we're not, then the other one is tasked with getting the other one to yes, or we just change direction. Um, and so, you know, we make decisions collectively, but that being said, that accountability is very singular, right? Accountability rests with me. Um, but when we go to make decisions, we make decisions collectively as a group. 
and philosophically, I'm very adamant about that. And the reason is because I think it's unfair to hold a head coach whose job it is to find wins on the field responsible for finding those wins with a roster that they didn't help build. Um, and so, you know, I think it's a discredit to the coaching staff if you do that way. And I think it's discredit to the players as well, because what winds up naturally happening is you bring a player into your environment that your head coach potentially doesn't see being a good fit, or there's something about that player that they don't like, you're automatically setting that player up for failure. And you're automatically setting the head coach up for failure because you've now taken a contract spot with an athlete that, that the coach inherently doesn't think they can, um, they can maximize the output for. So, um, you know, so I'll just say that like our collaboration and, and working with Seb is an absolute dream. Um, and we are comfortable having very hard conversations as a staff are comfortable disagreeing with each other, um, professionally, of course, but it's, you know, it's, it's an environment where we encourage discourse. Um, and so that's been great. The other thing I've really enjoyed is just seeing what he the growth that he has had and made over the last season in terms of learning how to influence coach and teach athletes um, because all of our athletes are very different and how you speak to or engage one athlete is very different than how you speak to or engage another athlete. How one athlete learns is very different than how another athlete learns. So some athletes you have to be very visual with other athletes. You got to make sure that they're writing something down in a notebook because they're never going to remember it if they don't write it down. Um, and so navigating that and learning that, learning all of our athletes and and really getting creative and, and how to engage different athletes and make sure that you're meeting them on their level is something he's gotten really, really good at. And um, and I would say that of our entire technical staff and the work that they've done together to um, to manage the workload and and ensure that responsibilities, everybody knows what they're doing, everybody knows what their role is. And that it that's the players see it the same way that we see it. Um, that can be something that's really hard to do in a team environment. You know, you're you think that you're operating one way, but your athletes see it a different way. And I think this year and and through the offseason and now going into this season, players are very clear on who in the coaching staff owns what responsibilities and roles. And um, if you have questions about this, you know, how do you navigate that? And um and the same goes for for Seb and I as well, like players knowing which questions to come to me on and which questions to go to him on and how to navigate things and and then realizing that we're always on the same page. So you're never going to play one of us against the other one. Um, but it's yeah, he's he's grown a lot. And I think um, I think what he managed to do last season is nothing short of incredible. I, you know, I understand how the media works and and the fanfare around the, the NWSL coach of the year, but I thought he should have gotten a lot more kudos than he did for, for what, um, we for agree. the potential, yeah. right? Like he, he pulled that potential out of the, the athletes and, and really got them to come together and see the most in themselves and feel the confidence in themselves and inspire them, them together to, as a group to go and achieve the things that they did. And, um, and I think that he played a huge part in, in driving that. So um, you know, the athletes obviously are responsible for performing on the field and and they own that. And, but, you know, creating the right environment and performance environment and atmosphere and inspiration, motivation for them to find that in each other and to, to build on each other. I think, uh, he did a very, very good job at, um, fostering and facilitating. Yeah. It's funny how, uh, the, the media forgets that they, 
They pick you to finish way down here. They picked us to finish 12th because there's finish no way up here. They don't give you yeah. the benefit of that. It's yeah, we <laughs> don't worry. We didn't forget. <laughs> Haley, before we let you go, uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the atmosphere in uh, what is now Inter and Co stadium, formerly Exploria stadium uh, at the yeah. end of last season, of course, winning helps with this, but it's not the only thing. But at the end of the season, we saw an uptick in attendance. What is the club doing to, to help market this team and to, to try to drive more uh, support to the stadium to, uh, you know, to get behind this team because this team it almost pulled off what was a very improbable playoff run last year. And, and the sites are obviously set a little bit higher this year. Yeah. So it's a holistic approach, really. I mean, something that we've talked about on the soccer side is um, and and working with the athletes is making sure we're getting the athletes out into the community more. Um, you know, if you look at some of the things we've done as as uh, soccer staff, the goalkeeping combine, it's paired with the special topics diploma so that we are opening up our environment to be able to train coaches. Um, high level coaches, get them uh, access to our environment, let them see, you know, we got North Carolina in and racing in as well so that they could present on what they're doing in their clubs from a goalkeeping standpoint, Um, running the all women grassroots course in December, um, just trying to be out there in the local community. Something Seb and I have talked about is um, getting out to local clubs, youth clubs in the area. You know, we got the question from Alfred earlier about the youth space, like making sure that we're getting out, even if we're running training sessions, once a month for each club in the area and running training sessions, potentially for highly talented individuals in the youth space at our training facility once a month. Um, and really just sort of making ourselves more accessible to the local community from, from my side, it's the soccer community, right? Like ensuring that, um, you know, everyone feels like the Orlando pride is like their club in this area. And, um, that they're supportive of that and and that we are doing what we can to grow the game within our community, to educate coaches, to get coaches access to high level um, information and coach education and make that available to them. Um, getting the athletes out themselves also to local, you know, youth clubs and and being out there. We haven't done that very much in the past. Uh, I've done it obviously in, in other clubs. We did it in Houston quite a bit. And, and I'm not saying that you know, we just need to be marketing to the youth space, but it is a space we have not previously been very good at. So it's something that we've identified and it's something that the players and the staff are really passionate about. Um, We're really passionate about growing the game and being involved in the community, in the soccer community in Orlando. So it's something that we want to take on. Um, And then when you look at the business side and the amount of investments, we've got dedicated pride season ticket member uh, coordinator. We've got a dedicated grassroots marketing individual who's helping us, you know, sort some things out as far as just being present in events that are happening uh, around the area. You know, I ran that Orlando half marathon um, a while back and and the Orlando Valkyries had a, a tent set up and I immediately texted Jared and I was like, these are the kinds of things we should have a tent set up at. Um, and so we're making it a priority to be able to do those things more often. Um, and then when you look at Inter and Co's investment, you know, they're, they're soccer people. Um, obviously they're business people, but being Brazilian, they're soccer people and they know the game. And so working with some of our Brazilian athletes, since we have a handful of them now, uh, we're just collecting them like little Pokemons, um, <laughs> that, you know, being able to work with them and, and market them and grow the, that, uh, awareness and interest within the Brazilian community itself in Orlando is going to be really important as well. 
Um, I think something that I would really like to see is, is, is trying to engage city fans to get more crossover. Uh, and I know that that's been like the Da Vinci code for the front office. I think trying to figure out how to crack that's been, been an ongoing process. Um, but that's where, you know, I, I would like to see as we start to put more resources into strategy and, and engagement is how do we get that city base to translate into a pride fan base? Um, and I, and I, I would be lying if I didn't say that, um, winning helps, right? Yeah. Um, I think, I think getting the product right on the field is going to help continue to drive interest, but, um, you know, we've got a, a couple of different things going on. We started the pride collective last year, which is a, is a gathering of high level women in across multiple industries, uh, in business within the great Orlando area and working with them to engage them to get with their companies and, you know, and, and share the, the gospel of the Orlando pride and see how we can get more and more, um, women empowering other women by bringing more women to women's soccer games. So, um, but it's gotta be bigger than that. Right. I mean, that that's kind of what we can work on. That's something that like I individually have been working on the soccer side is, is things, you know, that we can do, like I can control those things. So those are the things that we're working on. Um, but I know that Jared and, and Pedro and the team in the front office are, are hard at work and, and looking at how we can continue to, to drive that attendance trend upwards. Um, and it is clearly moving upwards. I mean, you see year on year increase, but you know, it's, it's nothing like what we're seeing elsewhere across the league. So just, um, I think continuing to increase brand awareness and presence, and that's something that all of us can play a role in doing. It's something that the players have asked about when we got out of um, the end of the season last year is how they could get more involved in the soccer community. And so we've tried to be very intentional in the off season and figuring out those types of events so that we get them out there more because ultimately that's what people want to see. They want to see them. Yeah. Yeah. Any talk about, uh, I know what was it, Seattle last year that did a, a Sounders and rain double header, anything like that to come up in the office? Uh, I'm sure if we could make it work, we would make it work. I think, um, you know, getting through the schedule, that whole process, as you guys know, is, is a pretty cumbersome process and it's less cumbersome for us than it is for a lot of the other NWSL teams. Um, you know, it's just from dealing with tele television and broadcast and, you know, trying to marry things up like that can be kind of difficult, but um, I'm sure if, if we can find a way to make it work, we will. I'm not aware of anything this season, but then again, you know, there's leagues cup and all of these other things that come up and timing of, of deal. So we'll see. All right. Uh, Haley Carter, the vice president and general manager of the Orlando pride. Thank you so much. You've been very generous with your time. We tried to be respectful of it, but, uh, yeah, absolutely. We, no, we can talk you to you all night. I appreciate it. I probably could talk to you guys every night, <laughs> every <laughs> night, all night. So, um, thanks for saving me from myself. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, we are back. And uh, again, a big thanks to Haley Carter, who was just absolutely fantastic and and very generous with her time beyond any reasonable expectation. It, it was a great exclusive interview we had with her, and she's extremely forthcoming, maybe not so much about some of the private stuff with Messiah Bright. We didn't expect her to be, um, but uh, a, a great interview as always, and, and a lot of fun to talk soccer with. 
Oh, you guys. Uh, so when we're doing this, um, sometimes not always, uh, the, whoever we're interviewing is, we you know this is on a zoom call basically with Haley. She always does the, the video as well as the audio. So we actually get to see her and you can just tell how excited she is about everything that's happening with the pride and how much passion she has, uh, for soccer and especially soccer, um, in Orlando and around the club. And that it's, it's infectious. Like I'm, I'm more excited now after having talked to her about this season than I, I was before. And I was already pretty excited. Yeah. I love the way she lit up when she was talking about summer Yates. So now I can't wait to see what summer Yates uh, does in her sophomore season. And not wait so many, I truly there's, I, we said it a lot last season, but, and I know that our scope purple listeners are already watching the pride, but get your friends to watch the pride. Okay. Cause you guys remember how, how fun it was to watch this team at times last season. It's going to be better this season. Get in on the ground floor because I, I feel like this team is trending the right direction. If this team can stay healthy this year, uh, there's no reason to think they won't. Um, last year they basically came within a goal differential of making the playoffs. I think they're setting their sights higher this year. I think they're setting their sights for a higher finish. I definitely think they are. And and unlike the beginning of last season, I think they can do it. Yeah, I have a lot more belief this year than last year for sure. Uh, and of course, um, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. Um, every, every season is different. Even if you have mostly the same group, there's different pieces coming in and stuff. But I really like the, I like the attitude that I'm, and, and the, the, the stuff that the players are saying, the stuff that the that Haley Carter obviously said, um, it, it it all is infectious. It is all it, it's it does make you believe. It, it, it's very much so. And if if Seb is, it's not a direct correlation. But if he's not the most Ted Lasso coach in the league, then I don't know who is. Yeah. Well, interesting, but. Uh... I'm I'm happy for Seb. I mean, he's we've as we've talked to him multiple times. He's a great guy, yeah. And uh, we couldn't be more happy that he's having success. So thanks again to Haley Carter for her time, a considerable amount of it that she gave to us, and and she's over at training camp and a very busy person. So she had yes, she didn't have to give us that much time, and she did, and we really really appreciate it. We have a lot of respect for what she's done for the club so far, uh, Dave. There's only one order of business that I have left that I can think of, and that is that we need to dip into our mailbag box. Would you like to do that? Well, Michael, I love the mailbag box, and so of course I would like to, and I'm really, really hopeful that we've got some questions. I feel pretty good. It's been a month since we've had a show, so I feel pretty good that there's questions in the mailbag box. But let me remind our listeners how you can ask us literally anything it doesn't have to be soccer related, doesn't have to be pride related, it, but it certainly can be. We will answer all questions. It is an ask us anything situation, and you can ask us anything in these following manners. One, you can email us at themainland at gmail.com. Just, just email us, themainland at gmail.com. Ask your question. Uh, you can throw ask scoperp in the, uh, in the subject line if you like. That makes it easier to, to sort, but basically uh, that's... A great way to ask us anything. Another way is to hit us up on Twitter. You can either do that at the mainland or at Scoperp Soccer. Either of those two Twitter accounts, just at us and use the hashtag AskScoperp. 
And then finally, you can go to themainland.com and click on the Scoperp Soccer web uh, page of our website. And there's a handy form that you can fill out and it will email us for you. So there, there are multiple ways you can ask us anything and we would love to have you aboard. It couldn't be easier, folks. It couldn't. I mean, I guess it could be easier if we only offered you one way. But, you know, but sometimes we, it's not too many choices. Bright is the spice of life, I say. Look, too many choices is a bad thing scientifically, but this is only three. It's not too many. I'm pretty sure that I coined the phrase variety is the spice of life. No, one, I've never heard it. No one has ever heard that uttered by any other human being. So definitely not. All right. Let us get to our questions then, Dave. Uh, and thanks again to Alfred for uh, for submitting some questions for our guest. Mm-hmm. Appreciate you being a founder and everything. Uh, let's go to the Gmail where Greg Maimoni All right. has asked questions. Uh, he says, uh, besides winning, what does this club need to do to become more attractive to free agent and big name players? Greg, that is a great question. And we kind of talked to Haley about that. And one of the things you do to make it attractive is, you know what the thing is that players talk to each other and players uh, who have played together or against each other, they know each other, they text each other, they follow each other on social media, they direct message each other. If you build the right kind of atmosphere and you, and you do right by your players, that goes a long way toward attracting uh, players to your club. Um, big name players is not necessarily what this team wants to do as it has tried that in the past and it didn't go so well, but, uh, I think you're going to see a good mixture, at least as long as Haley Carter's here, I think you're going to see a good mixture of, of, you know, up and coming players, established veterans who are kind of known, but maybe aren't big names. And then a few names, uh, big names sprinkled in, I mean, I don't know if you consider Adriana a big name, but I do. Uh, yeah, there's this one player. Um, oh, what's her name? Marta. Marta's kind of a big name. Kinda. <laughs> Look, you're you're right. Uh, uh, the other thing that you do to attract players is treat them right. So you know, we mentioned that you know doing right by Messiah Bright and allowing her to to move where she wanted to move that other other players see that and and they respect that if you treat them right not in just in that respect but um with their their health um you know pay is important of course too but you know Orlando City and the Orlando Pride have uh Orlando Health as a as a major partner um and that's that's big i mean that's going to help with, um, you know, healthy players are able to play, which means more playing time for them, which makes them happier because these are athletes they want to play. And if you're getting injured all the time, um, then because you you aren't fortunate enough to play on grass, you have to play on turf. Sorry, a bunch of those West Coast teams. Then, you know, that's that's not great. So there's, there's a bunch of behind-the-scenes business-type stuff that will, like you said, players will talk word will get out and that's the type of thing that will make players want to come to Orlando. Yeah. I mean, this, this team in the last couple of years has, has come very close to landing Dabinia and, and had discussions with Crystal Dunn. And I'm not sure those types of conversations would have happened a couple of years ago. 
No, I, I don't believe so either. And and so things are trending in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, so that's a good question from you, Greg. Greg's got more questions. He says, do you think the trade of Messiah Bright leads to a formation or strategy change? I don't see a direct replacement for what she brings to the field on the roster currently. Um, I'm going to... I'm going to disagree with your point a little bit. I think Allie Watt is almost the same player as Messiah Bright. She's not as big, but she's probably a little faster. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think they both have similar challenges in uh, first touch, uh, maybe a little bit of decision-making, and then hitting the target. So I think they're very similar players in that respect. But um, you know, there are other players on this team. Uh, other other forwards. Simone Charlie is a player that you haven't seen her yet necessarily in a pride uniform, but I think she's a player that is certainly capable of, of putting a half a dozen goals in the net over the course of a season if she can uh, you know, stay healthy and on the field. Um, we didn't really see a whole lot of Mariana Laraquette last year. I, I suspect we'll see maybe a little bit more of her this year, um, but don't forget there's more preseason left and uh and a, and a transfer window that's going to be open for a while so uh i don't necessarily think that the pride are done um and there's still time to bring in a replacement either now or in the uh later in the in the summer so uh getting back to your uh, formation change i don't expect seb Hines to change anything because he's kind of i wouldn't say he's necessarily positionless football but he does like the versatility of players and they sign players typically that can play multiple positions. And I think you've got players on this team that can fill that same role. Uh, so even though you don't necessarily agree with that, I, I don't expect anything different. I expect maybe on opening day, you see Ali Watt up top, or maybe you see a new signing up top. We'll, we'll have to see how it goes. Yeah, no, I don't expect to Seb to change anything, you know, tactically or formation wise. Um, he knows what he wants to play and he's building a roster around that. He lost a piece, but everybody remember Messiah had six goals, um, which was great. And I, I enjoyed watching her. I was really happy with how she did, but she didn't play every match. She didn't play every minute of every match. Uh, she didn't even start every match. So it's, you know, there are other players that there are other forwards on this team that can score goals and some that maybe haven't scored as many goals as we would like that maybe this season, you know, they turn the corner. Um, we're going to have to wait and see, but tactically formation wise, no, Seb doesn't change anything. I also think that what a lot of people aren't really thinking about is that it's not just the people putting the ball in the net. It's the people serving up scoring chances and yep. with the bulked up midfield, the way that this team has attacked the midfield and in, in trying to bolster that this off season, I expect more goal creating chances to come from the midfield. So, um, so players that might have previously had to take on one or two defenders to score that goal. Maybe now they'll have tap-ins. Yeah. And that makes all the difference in the world. I mean, we mentioned it earlier in the podcast that, uh, you know, addressing those midfield concerns is is help to build out of the back and move the ball up the pitch. Well, the end result of that is creating chances. I mean, so there's defensive midfield and attacking midfield. Well, the attacking midfield is attacking for a reason. You're attacking the goal. Yeah, I, I'm I'm feeling pretty optimistic. But uh, but and and again, the offseason is not over yet. But I, I, we appreciate the questions, Greg, and uh, thank you for that. 
And let me just take a quick last look, but I believe that's everything in the Gmail for this episode. Um, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's good. I think that's it for the, uh, for the, uh, Gmail. What do we got in the Twitters, Dave? Well, Michael, we do actually have a couple questions, including one from our good friend of the pod, Brandy, who, uh, says now that the preseason is upon us, how do you think our off season moves compared to the rest of the league? Um, I think they they compare well. I mean, obviously you didn't bring in big, huge names, but I I've I liked Simone Charlie before she uh, went to Angel City, and I think that's a good signing. Uh, love the Morgan Gatrot uh, signing because she is uh, a player who, can, if if healthy, is a world class midfielder. And cost and, nothing. And yeah, it, it really was like very little given up. And I also like the fact that. Um, the team addressed the central midfield by getting the uh, the two Brazilians, uh, Angelina and Luana, and I think that's going to help and, and pay dividends in retaining the ball, um, successfully moving the ball from the back to the front, uh, whereas this team has had many, many issues over the years turning the ball over in its own half. So uh, if you can cut down on those turnovers, you're going to cut down on goals against and you're also going to hold the ball more, which theoretically should lead to more scoring chances. So I, I think it was a good offseason. And I again, I know I've said this a few times, it's not over yet. I, I still expect maybe one more signing, possibly even two before the end of the offseason uh, or maybe early in the season. But I think more is on the way. And, um, and, and that's without even having seen any of the draft picks play yet. Yeah, yeah. No, there was... When you say compare to the rest of the league, I mean, obviously, you know, Gotham had big signing after big signing, splashy, splashy, splashy. Yeah, they went after the original Orlando Pride method of let's just get all the internationals we can get our hands on. Yes. And which, okay. Do you all remember how that worked out for the Pride? Not so great. Um, you know, Gotham might do well. Who knows? My point being is that splashy isn't always isn't always what you need. And we saw this on, on the Orlando city side. Um, there were plenty of, you know, uh, players were brought in that, you know, you're like, I'm sorry, who, uh, and then you find out that it's Cesar Araujo and, and he becomes one of the best defensive midfielders or Wilder Cartagena, or, you know, I can go on and on of all these players on the Orlando city side. And they built a roster that ended up finishing second in the supporter shield during the regular season. The pride are, doing something similar. They're also doing the same thing Orlando City does in locking down players. So even with contracts not up, they're re-signing players. Emily Madrill is a good example of this. Um, they didn't have to sign her. They signed her to a new contract to make sure that she stays with the club. They're doing those types of moves. So it's, it's not apples to apples with what some of the other clubs are doing, but they're building something. And the moves that they make are building type moves. Yeah, so I, I think that um, the pride, uh, when you say comparatively to the rest of the league, the pride are staying true to their belief system and their strategy. Um, other teams have seemingly changed strategy. Gotham's, Gotham's team makeup has changed significantly, and it'll be interesting to see if those players 
that won the championship. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the team won a championship, and uh, obviously they they lost a big piece in Christy Mewis, but uh, they brought in a bunch of uh, star players, and we'll see how those star players fit together or don't fit together. I mean, um, you could say, well, they're all in the U.S. Women's National Team; they're used to playing uh, t- playing together. That's true. Have you watched the U.S. Women's National Team recently? <laughs> yes, I have. And so, you know, it hasn't looked I, quite as smooth as it has in the past. No, it hasn't. All right. So, uh, thank you for that question, Brandy. We've got one more, which I, it made me laugh. Um, so love Tivo, uh, asks how long until Jordan Listro is back with the pride? <laughs> That's a great question. And a funny question. Uh, one of the things we didn't mention is that uh, the Pride uh, in the last month uh, publicly thanked Jordan Listro for her time in Orlando, seemingly uh, closing the door on her. She was a restricted free agent and uh, has not been re-signed. I don't expect that. And honestly, um, Jordan played hard uh, when she was with Orlando. That's you know part of the reason why she got minutes, because she certainly had some players around her that were maybe a little bit better. Uh, but I would say after all of the midfield additions this off season, I don't think that Jordan can make this team. Um, unless if she, maybe if she hangs around and doesn't sign somewhere and some players get hurt or whatever, uh, or need a national team replacement player, uh, maybe she could be brought back, but I, I don't see it. I think that, uh, I think you're starting to see the, the result of the team improving its depth in that you you had a player who started games last year who I don't think is good enough to make the team this year. Yeah, so this was so funny to me because I, I I've literally said and I think it was in a it was in an article um, that the pride just can't seem to quit Jordan Listro. Um, she was brought in and then let go and then brought back. <laughs> so I made a joke about it and. Um, you know, obviously, you know, they said goodbye to her again. So w- w- when Love TiVo asked this, uh, it just absolutely tickled me to no end. Um, brilliant, brilliant, very funny question. And so Michael gave the, the real answer, and I, I agree with him. I just want to say thanks for the question. Yeah, outstanding. That was great. Uh, so that exhausts our mailbag box then? for That, that is everything we got for this episode and we really appreciate everybody who sent a question in absolutely thank you so much for the questions folks uh, of course uh, you can get your question in for the next episode it will be sometime in february uh we're only promising you one show in february but it, it could be more depending on how the news goes how the news cycle is uh but we are we are in our off season uh, schedule right now and once the the season starts to ramp up we will be back to weekly episodes of Scoperp Soccer so we uh, we do appreciate all the questions and if you want to get a question in for next time again email us at the mainland@gmail.com make sure it's uh, m a n e is how we spell main like a lion's mane the mainland@gmail.com or you can uh, hit us up on twitter with the hashtag askscoperp either at us at Scoperp Soccer or at the mainland, either of those will do. Uh, you can also uh, go to the Scoperp Soccer page at the mainland.com and fill out the form. So, any of those ways will suffice to get your question in for the next episode. We really appreciate uh, you contributing to our mailbag box because we, we enjoy hearing from you. We enjoy hearing what's on your mind and what you know, what questions you have. And uh, even if they're not soccer related, 
And, uh, and we, of course, I mean, we flap our gums a lot. We like to talk and we, uh, we enjoy answering these questions. Yeah. And I love the mailbag box. He does. And he has the shirt to prove it. I do. All right. We would uh, love it if you would uh, do us a huge favor and go to wherever you get your scoper soccer and rate and review us. And if you do that, uh, we will be found by more people who do searches for Orlando pride and podcasts. I'm not sure how many Orlando pride podcasts are out there, but I'm, I'm aware of at least one other one. I am too. There are other places uh, that uh, apparently cover the team, but we are a dedicated Orlando pride podcast. We would love to, uh, to have more folks along for the ride. So please rate and review us. And by the way, if you give us a five-star rating and review on Apple podcasts, we'll read it on our show and potentially we will add it to our uh, testimonials on our scope of soccer page of our website. So uh, we would love to hear from you. Please do that. Uh, we have not had one since uh, October. So uh, you could still be the first one to do it in 2024. I, I we do. I'm, I'm thinking that somebody out there is been itching and with the holidays, they were like, did they just like, I'm too busy, but now with the holidays over, now's the time to do it. Now's the perfect time. So uh, thank you uh, to all who have ever sent us a question. And, uh, and of course, those, those special people who are immortalized on our website with their uh, testimonials. We, uh, we really thank you for that. Dave, that's all I've got. Well, I, honestly, one of the best shows ever just because a fantastic guest in Haley Carter. Absolutely. We, uh, we had a, a nice long show. Um, I'm, I'm interested to go and now edit this show to see how long it is, because of course, all I have to go on is our, our zoom, uh, timer, which is, uh, uh, is over two hours, but I know we didn't do two hours of show because we talked to Haley quite a bit after we stopped recording. So, um, it, it's just going to be a later night for me. It is, but uh, totally worth it. And I, I know that you all are listening to it right now, but as I'm sitting here recording it, I'm so excited for you to be able to listen to this podcast. Yeah. All right. Well, that will do it for episode 32 of Scoperp Soccer. And uh, we appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. Uh, you, We would like to remind you to please go and read our Orlando Pride stuff over at themainland.com. I know some folks have had some issues recently in... Uh, in not seeing new stories show up on their web, uh, on the homepage. We're working on that. We think we have a, a fix, uh, as soon as we can make that fix, we will. But in the meantime, you can clear your cash or just go to latest news and it will show you all of the latest stories on that page. And, uh, you can of course go straight to our Orlando pride page and see stories there, uh, as well. So, um, apologies to, uh, to anybody who has had some issues. I personally have not had those issues, so I'm, I'm not sure why, uh, I'm not, but other, other people seem to have, and it hasn't been a lot. It's been about a handful that we've heard from. So, um, just getting that out there. If you have had some issues at the mainland.com with, uh, seeing older stories, uh, at the top, um, all I can say is clear your cash and just go to latest news and, and it should, uh, you should be able to see all the newest stuff. Um, in addition, you can like the mainland on Facebook. You can follow The Mainland on Twitter, at The Mainland. You can follow this show on Twitter. It has its own Twitter account, at Soccer. You can follow Dave at Mainland Dave, and you can follow me at Mainland Michael. I know that's a lot. That's a, that's a lot, but there's no limit to how many people you can follow. 
No, there's not. Um, I know that because now my Twitter, I'm getting all kinds of new followers that I'm, I'm sure are not bots. <laughs> not, not even close to bots. No, I'm sure they're not, not bots. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you can also follow the mainland on blue sky and you can follow Dave on blue sky. He is, uh, at mainland Dave dot dot social. And, uh, of course the mainland is at the mainland dot dot social on, uh, on blue sky. And incidentally, I I'm pretty sure I saw that spot has started to follow us on blue sky. Uh, he did indeed. Uh, he even said, Hey to me, uh, when he got over there and I was really happy to see him. Um, so, um, and if, if you guys are able to, um, spot lost a friend and, and we retweeted it on the mainland account, if you're able to help out, um, go check it out. Um, just, uh, you know, you never know, uh, we all need help sometimes. And, uh, we want to be there for our, uh, mainland scope and Orlando city community. Yeah. Our, our condolences to spot on the loss of his friend an Orlando city fan. So, uh, again, we did, we did retweet the, uh, the information from, uh, for the fundraiser to try to uh, help with the, uh, the services, um, for that individual. And, and again, our, our hearts go out to spot, uh, a, a, a very supportive dude. And we are, we are thankful and, and for having him. And, and we quite frankly, um, just retweeting that and, and giving a shout out here on the show, it, it's the least we can do. And we're, we're happy to do it. So, uh, we're, we're sorry you're going through that. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, that's going to do it for episode 32. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will be back in February because, I mean, this is coming out the last day of January, so we can't possibly do another show in January. <laughs> so We could, but we're not going to. Yeah, you'll, you'll see us next month. And uh, the only thing left for us to do is uh, what we always do at the end. So on behalf of my co-host, David Rowe in Tallahassee, this is Michael Citro signing off the way we do by saying, Go Pride, Scope Perp. <laughs>